De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell, and today we're going to be talking about go-to-market strategies for B2B SaaS founders. Joining us is Patrick Thorpe, who's the co-founder at Founders Revenue Academy, which is an online platform made for the founders of B2B technology companies providing with the commercial skills they need to succeed. The platform collates over 50 years of experience helping over 100 B2B startups establish a revenue engine. And today, Patrick and I are going to dig in and talk about the B2B founders go-to-market playbook. Okay, here's my conversation with Patrick Thorpe, the co-founder at Founder Revenue Academy. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug. Good to see you. It's good to see you. And I have to say, this is a great topic. And I have to tell you, here in the Valley, I'm going to claim that status, even though I live in the Oakland Hills, it is a obsession in many ways. It is the tech founder's dilemma. How do I do well with a product and the platform? But gee, what happens when I have to go produce revenue? So start us out with your expertise, Patrick, to start a company like yours and to provide a platform like yours. You clearly have a background that, that allows you to be able to kind of collate and create this expertise for others. Tell us more about you. Yeah, sure. So you can split my commercial career into probably equal halves. The first half was financial services, always as a front office individual contributor role. And then I made the change over to technology, more at the gritty, sharp end of startup life. So when I say that, I mean pre-seed, seed, series A, that kind of, where all the fun happens really. And so over the last number of years, I've consulted with dozens of startup B2B tech SaaS businesses who are selling to a variety of different industries, variety of different verticals, different technologies and things like that. But the common thread with all of them has been that they are founder-led sales and they want to make the move to a sales team-led sales operation. And that movement is very, very difficult. It's a very specific skill set because you need to be able to understand which bits to concentrate on, looking at your proposition, looking at your people, looking at your process, all the three Ps effectively, as, a, as um, we termed it, to be able to get people to that coveted 1 million ARR kind of figure that a lot of people seemingly are, are, are getting towards. So it's been a very quick, in the fullness of time, way of helping a lot of different businesses achieve some really quite cool stuff. So yeah, great to to be here and dig in some stuff. Well, it's an amazing experience. And I have to say, it's quite often that a founder and that experience is applied yet to another company and another company again. Yet there really is a big challenge in the marketplace. I don't have the stats. I wish I did, Patrick. 
but I can assume that the percentage of startups that actually get off the ground and produce their first million in revenue is rather low. So there's clearly a need in the marketplace. And I'm really curious, start us off by describing what the typical founder is facing as they ponder go-to-market strategies. And specifically, what's the typical kind of founder background that you've dealt with in your career? Yeah, to give you some stats, and I'll, I'll have to localize this a bit. I'll give you some UK stats. You can obviously hear that I'm from this side of the pond. Nine out of 10 startups fail. So that's obviously the deck is stacked against you straight from the off. But the other thing is that around two thirds of founders of B2B tech companies come from engineering or developer backgrounds. And so there's a lot of businesses being started and incorporated with some really cool stuff being founded by non-commercial folk. And so often what will happen is these businesses fail because there's a lack of commercial acumen. And that's fundamentally why we started the Founder Revenue Academy, which is very clear in the value prop that we've got, which is equipping founders with the commercial skills that they need to succeed because they're often not out there. And so being able to have a platform where all things come together that you need in order to effectively ink your series a investment raise that's what the platform is designed to do and it's not just looking at sales and marketing because that's just one thing that's just one hat they have to wear right we go into contracts into negotiations into enablement into how to establish your dmu what dmu is partnerships all these kind of things which founders need to do because there wasn't anything like that. You know, you can look at all of these different courses which might be learn how to close enterprise deals or learn SEO or learn LinkedIn ads or or, or Facebook ads or whatever it might be. Very, very specific stuff. But there wasn't anything specific for founders that brought everything together. And so that's really how we birthed Founder Revenue Academy in essence, productizing all of the consultancy that me and the other two co-founders have amassed over 50 years. The idea of a playbook, and I, and I, I will tell you that it's a kind of a shortcut or a hack, if you will, this idea of being able to provide somebody a guide. And in many ways, I would assume also just keeping them from jumping off the ledge, because if they are a technical founder, they need to have something that's going to say, here's step one, step two, step three. And I imagine for you guys, you, you really have a core playbook that changes and expands depending on the business type. Is it B2B? Is it B2C? But I'm curious, if there's a core to that playbook, what does that core look like, Patrick? So to manage expectation, I'll speak to purely B2B. My experience isn't B2C, just to kind of set those expectations there. And I don't think that anything I'm going to say is reinventing the wheel. It's maybe just changing the wrapping paper slightly. So the first thing is really being able to understand what the problem is that you're trying to solve and actually have that documented and written down from a founder perspective. Why did you go into business and what are you hoping to solve? So it could be that you noticed that there was, everyone was having multiple Chrome tabs open, you wanted to bring everything all in the right place or, or, or whatever it is, the, the problem you're looking to try and solve. Because then once you've done that, step two would be to understand who your ICP is. And for those that don't know, ICP is an acronym that stands for Ideal Customer Profile. And this is basically, if you were to have a wish list and characteristic wish list of a company that would buy your solution, what would that look like? From a thermographic point of view, psychographic, technographic, building all of that out 
so you know that these are our ideal accounts and companies that we want to go after. And I stress that specifically because it's an account level. So that's step two. Step three would be the buyer persona within that. So this is at the individual level. These are going to be the individuals within those companies that are going to be buying your things. So for example, if you have a cybersecurity solution, your buyer personas could be the chief information security officer or the head of cybersecurity or a job title which has that kind of feel to it. And aside on this, there should always be a bit of flexibility in the buyer persona because not every company is going to have that exact job title. So one does need to think a little bit laterally on that. So that would be step three. So you've got the problem that you solved. You've got who you're going after from an account perspective. You've got who within those accounts are likely to buy your stuff, VPs of marketing, CISOs, sales directors, whatever it might be. And then this is, I think, where people kind of fall over a little bit because they may have gotten to this stage, which actually not many startup founders have done, these three steps. But then we want to go on to understanding what would ultimately our top 100 account list be. And the top 100 account list is 100 names of companies that you have researched that fit within your ICP and you're able to think, well, our hypothesis is they might be interested at least in engaging in a conversation. So you've got the top 100 list, so that would be step four. Then step five, what you would look to try and do is have between two and six contacts per account. And what you'd ultimately try and do in an ideal way would have maybe two C-suites, two champions, and two end users. And we can kind of go into that if we've got time to basically have, what would that be? Sort of hundreds, anywhere between 200 contacts to up to 600 contacts, for example. So what you've done there is you've created your audience. You've created your list of people and your list is your strategy. So right now, you know that my go-to-market strategy are the people that I can see on this Excel or on HubSpot or Salesforce or whatever CRM it might be. And then we're looking to have, okay, what is the message that we're going to bring to them? So you've got the top 100. Then you've got the contacts that you've got, which I think was step six. And then going into step seven, which is understanding what is our message, what is our value prop that we're looking to try and do. And there's lots of ways that you can do this in terms of we help sales leaders get more time back on their calendar, whatever it might be. And then the final two steps, step eight and step nine, is going to be how are you going to reach them? Is it going to be by phone? Is it going to be by email? Is it going to be by LinkedIn? Just as, a, as, as three common channels, there are more than that. And then step nine is once you have spoken with them, you're able to now curate your marketplace because not everybody is going to be in the buying window because, Doug, as you know, from your experience selling enterprise software, there's only a certain amount of your top 100 or of your TAM that are going to be in the buying window at any one point. So it's being able to pull together who you're going to speak to, what you're going to speak to them about, what channel you're going to get hold of them through, or how they want like to communicate, and whether it's good time or not. They're the four variables. So Patrick, this is, and I have to say, for people that aren't interested in starting their own business, this is great meat and potatoes just generally in terms of thinking about 
how to approach your market, especially for those that are thinking about new products or if they're thinking about bridging into a new segment. This is great stuff, right? So we're talking about you know jobs to be done, problem to be solved, starting there first, understanding fundamentally what we're doing, then making sure we understand the ICP. Finally, what's our buyer persona? How do I think about my buyer persona in terms of the top 100 accounts? And then how do I think about how I'm going to provide a value prop, how I'm going to message them, and how I'm going to reach them? And I imagine once these folks have this playbook together, the next question really is, how do I understand the unit economics of my business? And is that a part of what your platform offers as well as people's ability to kind of get to the point where they can understand, gee, my price point is, say, $12,000 a year for a B2B SaaS product, but my unit economics tell me that I'm going to have to spend 10000 to get to the folks. those folks. Again, exaggeration for the point of discussion, Patrick. But do you find that to be the next best step for folks is to understand their unit economics? I think one needs to put a certain amount of gray matter into it for sure, but let us consider where in the gestation period you are as a business. So I would say that if you're zero to one million in terms of annual recurring revenue, this is about promotion. You want people using your stuff so you can get feedback, iterate, re-release, and just have adoption of your promotion. Between one million to maybe five million, that's a bit more about product. Then you can start to charge a little bit more for what you're doing. You've got real product market fit. That's not a topic I think we can cover because that could take a long time, you know, what it means to get product market fit. But if we're talking about zero to one million, which is what founders need to do the zero to one before they can go from the one to the five, this is about promotion. So if it is 12,000 for a 12 month contract, for example, then it might be that you discount that a little bit so that your margin is going to be eaten into. But on B2B SaaS margins are typically 80%, typically. So you might you could shave a little bit more of that off because users using your product at this stage is more important than the amount of profit you are getting through because profit is an optimizer. You need to have the revenue in first before you can then start to think about profit. So if I'm thinking about unit economics from the journey from zero to one million, I'm really off base. Effectively, it's about the journey to zero to one million. And then from a million to five million, we're talking about some degree product to market fit, although it feels like zero to one million, you're going to get a pretty profound understanding of whether or not you've got the right product to market fit. So it feels like the change that you're really encouraging is to people think about a business plan that is specific to that first journey, zero to one, and thinking about an updated business plan that iterates on that idea of zero to one million. So that from one to five, you can think about making sure my product to market fit is where it needs to be. And you can start representing unit economics because guess what? Next stage in the journey is five to hopefully 100 million, although we all know that's usually five to 15. And that's a whole different set of priorities for founders. And I would assume after the $5 million mark, you're now at a point you're scaling. You have specialists in the building. Probably after a million, frankly, you've got some more specialists, if you will. You've probably hired salespeople. You probably have a marketing person. You probably have a product manager. So in many ways, the CEO, the founder's job changes. They're not having to carry all the water themselves. Well, Patrick, I have to tell you, I learned a lot. I'm looking forward to our conversation tomorrow. And thanks for joining me. Sure. Awesome. Okay, well, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Patrick Thorpe, co-founder at Founder Revenue Academy, for joining us today in part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow. Patrick and I are going to dig in and talk about why revenue over sales. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Patrick, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit his company website at founderrevenueacademy.com. 
Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to RevGenPod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is MarketAdvocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. And we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.